When Cheryl Bronham got her Ph.D. in computer science at the University of New York in 2002, she probably never expected that she would have uh, gone down the road of studying human abuse with computers. And we're not just talking about banging on your keyboard too hard. We're talking about humans acting in malevolent and sort of misusing ways with conversational agents, uh, such as Siri, for example, or with automated systems uh, on the phone, if you call your your phone company. I'm sure everybody who's tuned into this episode has spoken with a conversational uh, agent in that context, or even in a chat context for support help with certain companies and entities. It's funny that people seem to exhibit a certain kind of malevolence and misuse and mischief when they're speaking with an artificial agent. And in this particular episode, we discuss what's right and wrong about that, why people tend to misuse these computer agents as if they were people in a way that they never would if it was a person, and what serious considerations we might have to have around policy as these agents become increasingly intelligent and at a higher and higher degree of import in our day-to-day life. So without further ado, we'll roll directly into the episode. So, Cheryl, leading into this this topic of uh, aggressive ways that we interact with uh, computer entities or, or artificial uh, entities, personalities, chatbots, whatever you want to call them, um, I, we had made a distinction off microphone about uh, the ways in which we communicate with computers in the first place. And you had talked about kind of um, uh, communication versus a GUI. Um, what are the ways that we can interact with machines in the first place, just to tee things up? on some sort of metaphor, and two of the biggest metaphors that we have are human-computer interaction is communication, and human-computer interaction is some form of manipulation. And in the first case, where human-computer interaction is communication, uh, what we do is we use language to communicate with a computer, and in the early days, that meant texting the computer some really arcane messages like DEL for delete a file. Yeah, yeah. And then we moved away from that to GUIs so that we would take a mouse and we would have uh, a desktop metaphor. And instead of deleting a file by writing a cryptic uh, message, what we would do is we would uh, take uh, our cursor and drag a file into an image of a, a trash can. And uh, that's two main ways. There are other metaphors. Uh, For example, we could say uh, human-computer interaction is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. We interact with a computer. It's sort of invisible, and it just sort of does things for us. It turns on or off the lights when we come into a room, for example. So there's lots of metaphors you can use, but the two big ones are HCI is communication and HCI is manipulation. Ah. And they've evolved over the last, you know, over the last um, 50 years, uh, and what we have now with HCI is communications, we actually interact with computers using natural language. And we call these systems or these interfaces by many names, but the name I often use is I call them a conversational agent. And if they have a physical form, if I can see them, we call them an embodied conversational agent. And sometimes we use the word ECHA for that. Okay, cool. Nice. Distinctions. I, I'm a fan of distinctions, Cheryl. This is fun. So so now we have some Lego blocks to play around with in this abstract communication that you and I are just going to have. I think an important distinction for the folks tuned in is that our interactions with computers are a metaphor. How curious, right? Because don't we assume that a desktop, like, you know, computers were born, uh, you know, they were bestowed to us, 
and of course there are these objects, and we move them around. Of, of course this is the way, right? Someone, someone my age who has never seen anything other than that in their whole life. Um, in other words, I wasn't programming, you know, at an early age, and, and or I wasn't even, I didn't have access to computers when you were typing in DEL. I was always dragging stuff uh, into a box when I was, you know, even seven or nine or whatever. It right. is, um, is that we assume that this is sort of the way uh, that it must be, but of course there's an infinite number of, you know, it's it's not a it's not a real physical thing, and it doesn't need to be displayed like that at all. Um, but then those are all funny, weird abstractions. I think probably, although it represents something in the physical world, right? We're used to grabbing, moving. Our brains are really sort of used to thinking about things spatially, and so it makes a lot more sense than typing in uh, lines on like a blinking green screen or blinking green letters on a, on a black screen or whatever whatever the old days were like. Um, but but of course maybe now we're moving away from exactly the now we're actually yeah. using virtual reality augmented reality we're it, with a metaphor human computer yep. interaction is manipulation we're manipulating virtual objects and maybe three D space no and, and that's all possible too I, I think it's 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 interesting to me Cheryl as we move into you know the the topic at hand I just think this is fascinating is that you know it went from this very abstract slash del blinking lines manipulating files in some sort of obscure way to manipulating kind of shapes and objects and symbols and words in a spatial environment that's sorted in ways that make sense to us and our little human brains to to now these conversational agents and sometimes embodied conversational agents that make things even more natural to us maybe we could argue than dragging little files which is talking to another communicative entity it's sort of lowering the barrier of what it takes to interact with and maybe get something out of a computer you know i wouldn't know what to do type slash del i would have no idea with a computer with images i might be able to figure things out if i'm just talking that's kind of like the most normal kind of human communication there is so now that we've moved into that which i think is is, yeah go ahead important one, and that is that uh, the ease of understanding what is going on, uh, but it also uh, enables people to uh, cooperate more because you're dealing with like a person. Yeah. Uh, it also makes for more engaging interfaces, and it activates a large number of unconscious social uh, interactions as well. So there's a lot of benefits in making a computer interface resemble or behave more like a human being. Yeah, because it, it engages. I mean, that's sort of what we were built for, right? If we were yes. if we were built to literally manipulate uh, English letter symbols and numbers on a black screen with blinking green letters, uh, then then that would be our uh, that would be our modus operandi. I mean, we should stay there because we'd be very very efficient. But because there's all these social cues and social ways of understanding things and how how well language clicks for us and listened listening to language, not just reading it, um, we get to engage all those facets of our brain and have maybe what some would argue is in some ways a deeper, richer uh, experience. Um, And I think we're not even close to really seeing what that implies. But we're seeing some phenomena uh, that I know you've studied, um, which is the, you know, in addition to just communicating with these uh, conversational agents or embodied conversational agents, occasional abuse of these conversational agents. You know, I'm sure everybody who's listening in has maybe been a little bit more rough with your car than you would have liked at certain times, or you slammed the door, you, you, you uh, hammered uh, on the gas when, you know, your clutch wasn't quite in place, and, and uh, you know, you, you uh, ground your gears a little bit, and you took off when you were a little bit angry or something like that. Um, and for the most part, I mean, if, especially if nobody saw you, 
you probably weren't yelled at and inherently called a horrible person. You know, if you're really rough with your toaster in the morning as you're running out the door, it's not the same as like trampling your dog. Uh, when you're going out the door, at least, at, at least, at least right now, right? But given our current moral conception of of kind of the sentient value or moral value of a toaster, how? And, and maybe we should say that these chat majiggers uh, aren't aren't much more. But but before we even talk about the moral implications, what is actually happening? You've you've been able to Cheryl get access behind these conversational agents and seeing these conversational threads, what people are actually doing and saying. What is the abuse that happens when someone knows that this is a robot? Well, let me ask you a question. Sure. Uh, have you ever called um, your phone company, AT&T, uh, Verizon, or whatnot, yep. and you wanted help? And the first thing you get is a conversational agent Yep. Uh, talking to you, asking you to press various buttons. And so I just want to ask you, how many times have you yelled and screamed at that agent for not getting the answer right? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't I haven't yelled and screamed, uh, but I've definitely spoken gruffly to, to that agent, knowing that it wasn't a person, um, but I, I've been frustrated with it. I, I, I haven't called its mother any bad names or anything, but, but I have, uh, I've expressed, you know, maybe the same kind of frustration that I would with a person. Well, I've asked that question with people, and a lot of people laugh because they do uh, yell and scream and call um, the... The agent, you uh, son of a, yeah, <laughs> got a male or female voice. They'll call them names based on their gender or based on their perception of the, uh, you know, of the the social attributes of the agent. But what we see is uh, what we do is we we look at interaction logs of conversational agents online or in other settings, uh, and we we examine what people do. Uh, they don't just do what they're intended to do. If it's, for example, an agent that is uh, pedagogical, uh, a teacher, uh, well, the, the students, for example, don't just uh, learn the subject and ask questions about the subject from the, uh, the agent. Instead, they might talk about drugs. They might talk about sex. They might uh, offend the agent in various ways, say really nasty things about their embodiment, about their race, about about their age, um, and um, they practice uh, proposing sex if they're adolescents. Uh, and so they do all sorts of other things with these agents that uh, were unintended. And we've been fascinated by this. Uh, Binding people just ignored this as noise. Yeah. Uh, but we were wondering, why are people doing this? And what, how much of this is going on? Anywhere between 10 and 50% of the interactions with conversational agents are abusive in some form. Huh. Now, now, so let's talk about the permutations of abuse. You know, I mean, some of it we might... Mean it, we yeah. mean the word abuse in two ways. Okay, uh, we, we mean it literally. They're misusing the interface in some way. Yep. In other words, if this uh, interface, with, if this agent is intended to be a teacher, well, they're doing something else with the interface. And we also mean it figuratively, and that is the things they're saying to the agent, if they were... We would call that verbal abuse. Got it. If they were saying it to a person, we would, of course, it, it would not be condoned uh, in in society, you right? Know, across the board. Okay. So, um, good distinction there as well. In terms of what comes up, you're mentioning adolescents will, you know, make sexual references. Uh, people will make racial references. Uh, people will poke and prod the machine about, yes. you know, drugs or or sort of uh, not necessarily acceptable topics. Maybe just to see. What what it will do or how it will respond, and, and they're sort of 
and, and even that behavior, probably not always done by adolescents, we might consider to be somewhat adolescent, bringing, <laughs> bringing up, bringing up uh, you know, uh, inappropriate topics just to see what the machine says. We could th- think of that as a, a sort of a, a very sophomoric in some sense. Um, so what, well, I what think is, it's a very human uh, characteristic. It is. It is. Yeah, I, I think it's very important uh, for, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, we've never dealt with talking things. If you're reading storybooks, yeah. to live in an enchanted world where stones talk to you or ducks talk to you. Here for the first time in human history, uh, we actually do have speaking things. Pretty fascinating. Yeah, we are in an enchanted... It's like, a, you know, um, what is it? You know, Beauty and the Beast, the, the little candlestick holder guy, like, walks around and talks with a funny Italian accent. It's sort of like now we have these little things in our in our, you know, appliances and our pockets and in our computers and on all these sites. And we make calls to companies and, and it's these funny, weird, enchanted things, as you had mentioned, we weren't necessarily, uh, maybe, you know, certainly evolved to, uh, to expect said conversation from said kind of, uh, of an entity. Um, before we, we go don't to, know yeah. how to react to it. I mean, no, we uh, don't. We, we've been taught that if you start talking to things, well, that's a, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah, you got to get um, checked out. And so we've been, you know, there's something called anthropomorphism, where when we're kids, you know, our dolls are, are people, um, and we talk to them, and they, they're beings, they're friends, um, but then we're told as we grow up that we're supposed to give that up, that inanimate objects, and we're supposed to, to get rid of the anthropomorphic tendency, as it were. And then we come to computers, and suddenly we're told, no, uh, we want you to anthropomorphize. And so we're torn between this desire to uh, not anthropomorphize and then our this response. I mean, the agent is acting like a human being. So people go in and out of believing that what they're talking to is real. And sometimes the abuse, sometimes they're testing the agent just to see know how it reacts to things because they're curious just like you might throw a rock at an animal that comes up to you you're not sure exactly whether whether they're friendly or not you might do something to test it yeah uh but they also do other things with with the agents um they they talk to them and the way they're designed is they're designed in ways that imitate human beings and in certain domains uh business settings for example or siri or uh cortana where you're they're search engines, really. Uh, in certain domains, if they're if they're talking to you and you ask them a question like, "Do you have a boyfriend?" and they say, "Yes, his name is Steve," well, this just invites all kinds of abuse because, of course, a computer interface doesn't have a boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, doesn't have sexual preferences. Can't be a fan of the Red Sox. So you know, people people get very very upset. There's this uh, one conversational uh, agent that was produced in the late '90s, and he's still up. His name is Jabberwacky, and he learns from other people what to say. And a lot of people kept calling him just a bot, and they were God. Well, if you talk to him and say. Uh, uh, something like, what are you? He might say, I'm God, because he's learned that users say that. Wow. Uh, so people really get upset with these agents when they try to you know, when they try to act too human. Uh, people want to put them in their place. Wow. They're, they're in, a fact, in fact, I think uh, our humans jeopardized by these machines. And we get upset that they claim for themselves human attributes like <laughs> boyfriends, girlfriends, yeah. feelings of any sort. Wow, fascinating. Okay. Um, 
I have I have just oodles of interesting threads around how how this would have ramifications down the line. Um, but in terms of uh, you know, in terms of what other kinds of abuse come about, what are you know? You've seen so many of these. Um, you've had access behind you know again so many of these various and sundry conversational agents. Um, what are the other kinds of categories? of abuse that, that you see? Other other kinds, you know, is it just swear words and calling it names for no reason? You're mentioning, okay, it gets a, some folks get offended uh, when the machine takes on sort of human-ish uh, tendencies that it might know that it doesn't in fact have. Do some people kind of just take out general anger on it? You mentioned some people make uh, racial or, or sexual jokes at, at, at the machine. Um, what other types of conversational abuse uh, have you seen or documented? Well, before I go into that, let me just make sure that everybody's clear that a lot of people behave very nicely to the conversational agents. Yeah, um, that's good. They'll, they're very, you know, they'll say hello. They're very polite. They say, yeah, how polite. are you doing? <laughs> Excuse me, I have to go check the phone. Uh, they're, very, they're, they're very nice with the agents. Anthropomorphically but, nice, maybe. Yes. Yeah, we call there's something called disinhibition. You've probably heard of that. Yep. Uh, on online communication where uh, because you don't have all the cues available or because, you know, here, here we, we're talking with some but something that's not really human. Yep. And so we don't really have our normal moral boundaries. Social boundaries, people, yeah. yeah. people tend to, well, let's play. Let's go ahead and do things we wouldn't ordinarily do. So, you know, uh, with email, we might, because we don't see their, a person's face, we might flame, we might bully, we might uh, fail to cooperate, yep. etc. And this is called disinhibit, yep. disinhibition. Yep. Excuse me. And there's and benign, and then you have the negative. And so what we're studying is the negative forms of, of this. disinhibition. And to go back to your question of the types, well, it's similar to flaming, the, the stuff you find with uh, computer-mediated uh, communication. Yeah, There's like flaming, forums and things bullying, like that. Yeah. Uh, you'll say very racial things. And part of that is because you can break the taboo. You know, it's not a human being. Nobody's watching. So you can do things you would never be able to do ordinarily. Yeah. And so You can say the things you always wanted to say just because people enjoy doing bad things, and, and you get away with it. So people sometimes just are having fun breaking taboos. So they say outrageous things, okay. and then they enjoy trying to have sex, and sometimes they enjoy making the agent do something that they want. For example, I saw one interaction uh, log where the guy realized that, or I don't know if it was a guy, it could have been a woman, but the, the user realized that the agent, when asked what they preferred, whether they preferred bananas or apples, always picked the last item. And so he had a black getting this agent to pick all these sexual things that he enjoyed. <laughs> and so people will, you know, have fun with the agents. Okay, God. Maybe some of that isn't, although I think we, we would call it abuse for being impolite. If this person assumes that this isn't a thing, maybe they're just having a, a what they consider to be a private chuckle. Um, yes, we could call it not just abuse, but misuse and abuse. Misuse, and exactly. Case, yeah, I'm with you. Yep, misuse. I'm with you. Yeah, that's a very important thing. Yes, misuse as well. So, okay, um, and so this comes from the motivations here. So we have all these tendencies and, and the ways that folks can, you know, misuse and abuse these these uh, conversational agents. The, the motivations here, some of it is just fun of breaking taboos. It's a, you know when the teacher's gone and they normally don't you know don't want you to take the the 
the really cool neon crayons to your own desk, you know, and maybe when a substitute's there and no one's there at really early in the morning, you like sneak around, and, you know, so it's maybe there's a bit of that, you know, like the, that childish deal, but you know, the, just kind of, again, mischief, mischief just for its own sake. Um, and, and then, uh, maybe in other times, like you said, it's, it's defending, and I think this is particularly important, it's defending and drawing a hard line for this machine between, or, or I mean, it's really not for the machine, it's drawing a hard line for themselves between you, machine, me, person, um, and, and people get defensive around, uh, around that. Are there any other reasons that they flare up in, in that sense, other than just kind of messing around well, and defending the, humanity? Uh, Ah, yes. Um, So they're talking, and the agent is unable to give the correct answer, fails at its task, and so uh, people get very upset. And uh, with a human being, they would say, well, that's okay, you know, I understand. But with the agent, they just lay it on um, and tell the the agent exactly how stupid they are, etc. And often they do this based on the stereotypes that the agent uh, proffers. In what sense? Well, if it's a woman, they'll call her a bitch. Wow. I wrote an essay once called The Impossibility of Collaborating with Kathy the Stupid Bitch. Uh, because Sounds Kathy, like a great academic case, paper right there. Kathy, in this case, being a collaborative agent, uh, and when she fails, people really say horrible things, but they say things based on her gender. Yeah. Uh, and if uh, the agent were black or the agent uh, looked uh, with guys, they often, you know, uh, make references to homosexuality, etc. And so there are questions about allowing this to happen. Yeah. What are those questions? So this is interesting. Let's talk a little bit about, let's lean into the ethics now. Uh, what are those questions? You know, what is what is up in the air? What is questionable here? I mean, who's going to come in and moderate this? Why do people care? Well, there's a couple things going on here. First of all, people are scripting these agents to handle abuse in specific ways, and often these ways are not good. Yeah. So if you have a female, in the early days especially, if you had a female agent, and uh, they would notice, the designers would notice that people would say very catty things or whatnot. So they would recognize these, they would script these agents to recognize these terms and then say very catty things back. Wow, that's no and good, And that huh? is perpetuating certain types of stereotypes myths about groups of people that I think are very questionable. And also, if you find yourself, if you're practicing abusing different types of people, doesn't that make it easier, perhaps, in the real world to say the same things and to do the same things with real people? I mean, if you look back at the, the science of killology, for example, uh, in World War One, people, soldiers were unwilling to shoot human beings. They didn't want to do it. But as soon as they were practicing at that time, too, with circular targets, but as soon as they changed the target to a human form and they practiced shooting a human form, kill rates went, you know, skyrocketed. So in a way, if we're practicing abusing agents of different types, then I think it lends itself to the real world abuse. And and I think think that there is – I think that it is – Probably, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna jump behind it as as my conclusive, uh, you know, finding in some way. But but I would say that it's very difficult. It's a double negative. It's difficult not to give that perspective credence because I think, don't you feel that tinge in yourself when you act in such a way? And and can't we say that if we knew nothing about someone except that they were capable of that with the machine, 
does that imply something that does it imply a kind of ill nature that maybe is just more likely to be out somewhere else if we saw it come out then? Um, that's, that's true. Some people have said that it offends our moral sensibility on one hand. I think you're addressing that and what you're saying. But also recall, recall what I said. When people interact with conversational agents, they go in and out of believing they're real. Yeah. And if you're abusing them and you're believing and going in and out of believing they're real, then you actually are abusing what they represent. Yeah, it's very, very, very interesting topic, right? Because nobody, no one is doing this with toasters, you know? I, I would never shake somebody's hand as gruffly as I, you know, slam the toast down while I'm trying to, you know, pound coffee and catch the train or whatever. But, um, but very rarely ha- have I felt the moral pangs of wrongdoing. However, this is a kind of communicative personal offending in some sense uh that that maybe speaks to something um farther down in in people and in in some sense it's not only a permitting oneself to behave in that way and i'm not sure how far laws can go there with non-sentient entities if if they can you know arrest people for such a thing or find them talk about strategies for curtailing the abuse i'll do that in a minute okay got it uh, got it um, yeah, go on. Yeah, so, so, um, uh, but it, it would seem as though the, it has implications in terms of just, again, w- what we permit ourselves to do morally in, in that one sense uh, might sort of eke out into other places. In addition, in addition, um, as these entities become more embodied, uh, as I think we are, we are seeing, um, yeah, not just in, let me touch on something. Go for just, it that you just said in passing here, and that is there is something else that's that's important here, and that is um, in these business-like settings. I'm not talking about an entertainment setting here. You can do whatever you want in entertainment settings, perhaps. But in these business-like settings, these agents represent your co- company. There's an ethos there. And so if you're allowing people to abuse the representative of your company, I think there's something wrong with that as well. Mm -hmm. And Microsoft has allowed people to do this, uh, especially with – are you aware of Miss Dewey? Miss Dewey, That they put out in 2006? I'm not. I'm not aware. She was a virtual librarian search uh, engine interface, and she was extremely catty. Uh, and and, and <laughs> yes, I mean, you would search, for example, safety, and she would ho- hold up a helmet and condoms. Um, and uh, she would, she was very tantalizing, and people would say all sorts of. She she invited outrageous statements. She invited abuse. <laughs> uh, and this can't speak well of Microsoft. I mean, why would Microsoft create an agent that? Um, you know, was female embodied of uncertain race that people abused. It had it tarnished, I think, the image of Microsoft to some degree. Interesting. And and why why would people um why would people take this seriously? In, as we we kind of come to a close here, why 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 would people take this seriously in an, in an ethical sense? And you had mentioned the curtailing factors. You know, what I, I suppose the question would be: What can we do about this? Well, I think we can be honest and truthful. Uh, and rec- the agent can be designed to say, I'm not human, to recognize abuse, and to, to talk, to, you know, if a human being can persist in abusing, to use various strategies to uh, um, just 
using. And if, if, it, if it continues, they can simply say, you know, I don't think I'm able to answer your questions. Here's some other options. Would you like a human agent? Would you like to see, yeah. uh, you know, our search, our, our website search engine, uh, et cetera. And so you can just treat the user very respectfully, not punish. I've seen uh, agents that punish the user for uh, abusive uh, uh, communication. Yeah, that'll for perpetuate example, it. I, I remember one, uh, you, you got three strikes and you were out and they, they just... They, when you when you went when you went to talk again, you got a server error. They just uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't tolerate the abuse at all. And I think that's that's wrong. These are human beings. And the machine is not being hurt by these statements. Uh, but you can simply try to refocus the conversation and help the user find what the user needs. Yeah, I'm with you, and and I think um, maybe these these will become more and more prevalent uh, conversations. Uh, no pun intended. Um, w- you know, in, in a grander ethical sense, when these machines are embodied in a more real way, if there are robot waitresses, uh, whether no matter how many people are in the restaurant, you know, maybe you're not going to talk to that thing like you would, you know, when, with a chatbot or with Siri. You know, if you're alone in your car with with Siri, may- maybe it's different. If you start yelling in an embodied, you know, humanoid robot maybe now we're starting to tinge the moral sphere in some way and that we'll need real sort of ethical uh like you had mentioned some sort of a framework of dealing with abuse um in terms of how we as a society view it and see it uh and how we treat it as a culture like you know 50 years ago if you threw a plastic bottle into the wrong bin there was no wrong bin who cared um but but uh but but nowadays you know if you if you don't it's somewhat acceptable for 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 you know someone relatively close to you to be like well, what are you doing you know put it put in the damn recycling um, and so are we going to have to shift our social acceptedness of of permitting um, the kind of goodwill that we want in our moral sphere as our things start to wake up as we start interacting socially more and more in these other places do we have to be wary as a society of how we interact with machines uh, for sort of the sake of our aggregate get alongedness and our aggregate well-being is that a, a serious consideration i think especially when you got humanoid robots walking around i can imagine your work will be all the more kind of important then yeah you want to apply maybe aristotle's ideas um you you want to have conversation in which you exhibit goodwill like you said um excellence of moral uh good moral character and you also want to be an expert. The agent should do its tasks very well. Yep. And if the agent does these things and appropriately diffuses abuse, it shapes the way we interact with the agent. Completely and so agree. we become also better people in our communications with the agent. I, I completely agree. And I, you know, I've often thought about how virtual reality, augmented reality, and interaction with artificial intelligences in the future might in fact mold our own capacities, mold our own personalities. Um, depending on the kinds of feedback and the kind of interactions and grooming that we get from what we communicate with, which is not necessarily other walking, uh, you know, humans uh, necessarily any more. And I think in the future that'll be more and more the case. Um, and and I, uh, I I think that some kind of framework for dealing with it seems uh, more more than important. And I'm glad that we got to shed some light on this particular dynamic. I know we went a little bit over time, but it was a real blast. Cheryl, thank you so okay. much for for being here on the Tech Emergence podcast today. Thank you very much. You take care. 
And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off. And I'll see you next week.